You're listening to the Words of Hope, a ministry of Hope Church Trenton, Georgia. It's our prayer and mission to share the hope that can only be found in a relationship with Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Thank you for listening, and may you too find hope in Christ. chapter 1. I'm excited. I feel blessed. Um, It's been a great reward for me to get to study this book, and my prayer is that I can pass that reward on to all of you. Galatians chapter 1. As we begin, I do want to remind you that this is a letter of Paul to a series of churches who were in a difficult time, who were facing threats from within and threats from without, who wanted to distort the gospel message. And Paul has been very clear that the gospel cannot be changed or altered or distorted in any way. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 1. This morning I'm going to read uh, chapter 1 verse 11 to 18. Or rather we'll go on to the end of the chapter. And in the coming weeks we will go through this. And I want to make clear to you that the, the foundation that we are laying is a grace alone, faith alone gospel in Christ. Let's read together. For I would have you know, brothers... That the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Church, let's pray together. 
Father, we do thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for the peace that, that comes through the gospel. Father, may you open our eyes and our ears. Fill us with your spirit. Give me words to speak. Father, we rejoice that as we gather together, you are here with us. You speak to us through your word. You comfort us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And I just pray that we would continue our service of worship as we sit at your feet to learn from you, to be conformed to the image of Christ. May you be honored. May you be glorified. May the gospel be heard. May the gospel be believed and lived out in this body of believers. In Jesus' name, amen. I am a person who enjoys a good origin story. You know the kind I'm talking about. You have a great book or a great movie and, and you watch it and then comes the sequel and you get to find out what happened to your favorite character before the original story. What made them who they are? Why did they go through what they went through? One of my favorite origin stories, and this is going to reveal a lot about me, is the first scene of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. The great origin story. You recall the, in the first two movies, we, we were introduced to Indiana Jones, this globe-trotting archaeologist that can't stay out of trouble. Um, he defeats the Nazis in Nazi Germany and North Africa, and then he goes to India, and there's a great adventure in India. But in the third movie, and my favorite by far, the scene opens to a teenage Indiana Jones, and we see an origin story. Does anybody remember the story? I, I can see it vividly in my mind. It opens with Indiana Jones stealing a, a jeweled cross from a group of uh, mercenary grave robbers. He sneaks into this cave, snatches it, and he runs away and jumps on his horse, and a chase ensues. They chase him. They eventually wind up on a train. It's just exciting. Um, and we know the story. He falls into the lion's cart there. He gets the whip, and it just answers so many questions about Indiana Jones. Where did he get the whip, the hat, all that. A great origin story. And if you do not know by now, this is just exciting for me to even talk about. I'm, I'm getting messages from the peanut gallery. That, uh, I know somebody out here loves this as much as I do. A great origin story. This morning we're going to look at another origin story. We're going to look at the origin of Paul's gospel. And the question that we're going to seek to answer, the two questions, is what is the origin of the gospel? Where did it come from? Now, to get started, we need to review a bit. The letter to the Galatians is written to not a single church, but a group of churches in a region called Galatia in what we would call Turkey. In those days, it was the Roman province of Asia Minor. Galatians is a central district in that area. Paul and Barnabas had gone there on the first missionary journey. They had preached the Gospels. They started in the synagogues. 
Jew and Gentile believed. By the time they left Galatia, they had planted fledgling churches who believed in Christ. Shortly after Paul left, an event happened, a series of events happened where people who we will call Judaizers entered into these churches and their message was Paul's gospel is not the true gospel. Paul is not a true apostle. It's not enough that Jesus died for you, that he rose again. It's not enough to believe in his perfect sacrifice. You aren't saved by grace working through faith alone. You are saved by grace through faith in Jesus plus works of the Mosaic law and the traditions of the Jewish rabbis. That was their message. Chiefly, theirs was a gospel of works. When Paul hears about this, he writes this letter back to these Galatians, and it is a a barrage, to say the least. Paul attacks this false gospel head on. He is not afraid to call it out for what it is. He calls these men doubly cursed. He calls the Galatians foolish for falling for it because they should have known better. As we get into this book, it divides neatly into three sections. Chapters 1 and 2 are Paul's defense of his gospel and his apostleship. He has to defend himself. Chapters 3 and 4 are a theological defense of the gospel using the Old Testament scriptures. That is the Bible that Paul had in hand when he went into these churches. And he proved from the Hebrew Bible that Jesus was the Messiah. Part 3, chapters 5 and 6, cover how a grace alone through faith alone gospel works itself out in our lives. And the foundational reality of, of, of that life, it is spirit-filled and spirit-led. Before we can discuss the theology of the gospel, before we can talk about how it works in our lives, we have to talk about this foundation that Paul lays, and it is a defense of his position and authority as an apostle. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to go through Galatians 1, verse 11, all the way to 1.23, and bear with me. I know it seems like we're going really slow, but it's important that we lay this foundation because I promise you when we get to chapters 3, 4, 5, and 6, you will be glad that we did this work, that we laid this foundation. So we are up to speed, we've reviewed, we know what's going on in the church at Galatia. So Paul is going to defend his gospel, defend his apostleship. So this morning we're going to zero in on chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. That's it for this morning. Paul is going to make three very important points. 
that we need to understand. The first one is that the gospel was not conceived in the mind and heart of mankind. This is not something that we've made up. We didn't make up the gospel. His second point is he did not get his gospel from any other man. That's going to be very important. I know it sounds similar to our first point, but there is a distinct difference that we're going to get to. Third, Paul received his gospel through a revelation of Christ himself. His gospel was not conceived in the mind and heart of man. He did not get it from a man. And his gospel is a revelation of Jesus Christ himself. A revelation of that great person. So number one, let's look at this. Paul's gospel was not conceived in the mind or heart of mankind. Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. Now stop there. Paul is being very deliberate. One thing he does that I want you to know, he calls the Galatians brothers. They had veered from a, a trust in Jesus Christ alone, but that is the gospel that they believed, and it is the gospel through which they had been justified. They had taken their eyes off Christ, but they are nevertheless his brothers, his brothers and sisters in Christ. And he says, for I want you to know, I would have you know, uh, this is the Greek word norizo. It means I want to make known to you something you did not know or that you knew and forgot. What was the case for the Galatians? Had they heard the gospel? Yes. Had they believed the gospel? Absolutely. Paul's laying a new foundation again. This word is used 25 times in the New Testament. Always, always used to make something known that was valuable. You need to know this. So I want to point out to you this. Paul's gospel was received by the Galatians. They received the gospel. Not only had they received the gospel, he calls them brothers. They had been born again. There was a church here. He is speaking to his brothers and sisters in Christ. He doesn't treat them as unbelievers. He doesn't treat them as heretics, though they have believed a false gospel. He treats them as his brothers and sisters who are in the process of straying. They'd heard the gospel. They were intimately acquainted with the gospel. Now, as we go through this letter, what you're going to learn is that this letter contains more biographical information, autobiographical actually, from Paul than any other letter besides maybe First or Second Corinthians. Paul talks about himself more here than he does almost anywhere else, and it's because he has to defend himself. The book of Acts records their trip into this region to take the gospel. And I don't want to just spend time giving you 
loads and loads of scripture, but I think it's uh, beneficial this morning for us to hear the story. The Galatians had heard the gospel. Paul goes into Galatia, Paul and Barnabas, um, they arrive in Galatia and Acts 13 verse 43 picks the story up of uh, when they first came into Pisidian Antioch. It says, and after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, they had preached at a synagogue Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what, Paul, what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And listen to this. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout that whole region. So had the Galatians heard the gospel? Yes, they had heard the gospel. Next, Paul and Barnabas go to the town of Iconium. Uh, Acts 14 says, verse 1 says, Now at Iconium they entered into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. What a great church service that was. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. I love this. The Jews just showed up and they poisoned everyone's mind. So what is Paul and Barnabas' response? So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord. What do we do when the gospel is challenged? We keep sharing the gospel. Truth never fears challenge. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided, some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra, Derby, cities of Lycaonia and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. So you see this gospel march through Galatia, one town after another, one city after another. Jews and Gentiles believe the unbelieving Jews cause problems, the, the apostles leave, and they go somewhere else. At Lystra, something dramatic happens. This is fascinating. This is God-honoring. Lystra, by the way, is the hometown of the disciple Timothy. Based on past practice, what do we think Paul and Barnabas did when they got to Lystra? They preached the gospel. Acts 14, 19, But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul, 
and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. Still in Galatia, one city after another, the gospel is always opposed. It is opposed strongly. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Have the Galatians heard the gospel? Without a doubt. Without a shadow of a doubt. They heard Paul's clear presentation of Christ crucified, Christ resurrected, Christ glorified, and forgiveness found in Christ. Through faith apart from works. Paul didn't preach faith plus Jewish tradition. Paul didn't preach faith plus Sabbath keeping, or faith plus baptism. He preached faith alone because merit, merit before God can never come from us. We're sinners. When, when God looks at a sinner, He doesn't see someone who merits forgiveness. He sees someone who merits judgment. But when a believing sinner puts their faith in Christ, we are clothed with a righteousness not our own. And when God looks at the believing sinner, he sees the merits of Christ. That's the gospel. Paul's gospel also came with proof. Not only had they heard the gospel, but they had seen signs and wonders that let them know that these men speak for God. They speak God's word. It's fascinating to me as they arrived in Iconium. It says that they spoke boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. And then at Lystra there was a crippled man who they, through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, healed. The response of the city was overwhelming. Now, I suppose there's no better time than now to talk about this. I believe in miracles. I do. I believe in a God who works miracles. I believe in a God who can heal the sick, who can raise the dead. I believe in a God who can cause the sun to sit still in the sky. I believe in a God who can part the Red Sea. I believe in a God who can do anything that he wants. But we see in the book of Acts that there was a special dispensation of God's grace and power on those who took the gospel into a place where it had never been heard before. These Galatians had never heard the name of Jesus until Paul got there. 
they healed sick people. They healed a crippled man, and they said, this is the power of God. And let me just say this. Bear with me, okay? This is not like what you see on TV. This is not what you're going to see on TBN, where somebody has a list of people in the audience who they have screened, who come up, who they heal of lower back pain and ringing in the ears. Biblical miracles aren't like that. Jesus healed people who had been born blind. I've never seen anything like that. I believe it happened. This is not fake faith healers. Let me just say that God can do anything he wants. So this is not Kenneth Copeland faking a healing so that you'll send him your money. This is not Todd White performing a fake leg lengthening trick. This, this is verifiable, the power of God in the lives of these people to heal and do miracles so that they can believe this message that is being preached to them by Jesus' apostles. So Paul's gospel came with proof. Let me just say this. Miracles will always point someone to Jesus Christ. Miracles will always point someone to the biblical gospel. The Galatians had heard the gospel and they had seen the proof. Paul's gospel was under attack. Is, is that an understatement? I mean, you don't go into a town and, and, you're, and in the morning they worship you as a god, you get that straightened out, and by the time evening comes, they drag you out of the city and stone you because of what you said. That's a gospel that's opposed and attacked, isn't it? The Judaizers did not preach the biblical gospel. They had no power to do miracles, and this proved that their message was not from God. But their message was effective. They couldn't refute Paul's gospel. They couldn't prove that his gospel was false and not a man among them could heal as much as a hangnail or morning breath. No one has the power to heal amongst the Judaizers. But what they could do is attack Paul himself. They could say, Paul's not an apostle. He never spent time with Jesus. He's not connected to Peter and James and John in Jerusalem. He doesn't have the right background. He, he, he's not one of Jesus' people. As a matter of fact, this is actually Saul of Tarsus who has been killing you, who's been arresting Christians. Guess what? They bought it. It worked. They shied away from the grace alone gospel that Paul preached and they embraced a grace plus works gospel that required the Gentiles to become Jews in order to be saved. Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning <clears throat> to a different gospel. He says to them in chapter 3, 
O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by the hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So here's the point that Paul's making. Despite all that the Galatians have seen and heard and the gospel that they themselves received and believed, he has to resort to defending himself, reestablishing his authority as an apostle, and re-preaching the gospel to them all over again. It is my prayer that that never has to happen here. You realize that's why we talk about the gospel all the time, the purity of the gospel. What is the gospel? What must be believed? Who is the gospel about? The gospel is never about religious ritual, and it's not primarily about us. It's about the glory of God and glory of Jesus Christ. Number two. Oh, first of all, so Paul defends his gospel. How is he going to do that? How does he do that? He's going to give the origin story, where he got his gospel. Where did it come from? Whom shared it with him? Who, where did he get it? Number two, Paul's gospel was not received from mankind. Galatians 1, 11 and 12. I know, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. It's not according to man. It doesn't come from us. It's not something that we make up. Verse 12, For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Paul did not receive the gospel from the apostles in Jerusalem. That's the first point of his defense. The Judaizers played both sides of this issue because they both loved and hated the apostles in Jerusalem. Uh, first of all, they were a little bit down on the apostles because Peter, James, uh, the apostle James, the son of Alphaeus, John, all these guys have fled Jerusalem and they're scattered all over Judea and Galilee sharing the gospel. They felt like Jerusalem should always be the center of the church. We have major world religions that spill blood constantly over who gets Jerusalem, don't we? Paul's point is that as the church gradually changed focus from Jerusalem to Antioch to the world, that the, the apostles, particularly Peter, would not be the focus of the story that's going to be told. So these Judaizers, they want to borrow the authority of the apostles in Jerusalem. At the same time, they repudiate them for kind of abandoning Judaism. Because, by the way, it was Peter who first preached the gospel to a Gentile, if you'll recall. 
What do we know about the Judaizers? Most of them were ex-Pharisees. They loved the law. They loved the oral traditions. They were legalists of the first order. And the tradition that was delivered from the rabbinical schools and the leading rabbis was king. They did not want to know what you believed. They wanted to know what rabbinical school and what rabbi you were connected to. And we hear that a lot today, don't we? That people aren't really cared about what you can do. They want to know where you went to school, don't they? The Judaizers mixed the gospel, the words and the teachings of Jesus with scholastic academic Judaism. They took the traditions of the rabbis. They took the law of Moses uh, and they sprinkled in a little Christianese and they held it out to the Galatians and said, here is your gospel. Was no gospel. Paul's point here is he didn't get his gospel message from the apostles in Jerusalem. He did not receive anything from Peter, James, John, Andrew, Matthew, any of the rest. How do we know that? How do we know that? Acts chapter 9. This is the story of Paul's conversion, and I'm trying to hurry. But we need to hear this story. Saul of Tarsus gets saved. Here's what happens. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying he is the Son of God. So on the way to Damascus to arrest Christians, we remember the story well. He is blinded, struck down. He has a personal encounter with the risen Lord Jesus. Immediately he is taken up. He goes into the city blind. He is healed of his blindness after three days. In the course of that time, he shares the gospel he is the Son of God, and all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates, the gates of the city of Damascus, day and night in order to kill him. But when his disciples took him uh, by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Boy, that was an escape, wasn't it? And when, they, when he had come to Jerusalem, this is, this is important. This is very important. When he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly, in the name of the Lord. Did Paul receive his gospel message from Peter? No. John? No. Philip? Do you get the point? Saul of Tarsus had an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus. He was born again, and immediately he started sharing 
the gospel and it bore fruit. People believed. I find it fascinating that when Barnabas takes Saul to Jerusalem, they're so, they are still so scared of him that they don't even want to have a meeting. This is Saul of Tarsus. Paul did not receive his gospel from the other apostles. Secondly, Paul did not receive his gospel from the Jewish rabbis. He points this out in verse 11, verse 12. Nor was I taught it. We need to remember who Saul of Tarsus is. He is the rising star of Judaism. Educated at the right schools, brought up in the cosmopolitan city of Tarsus. He had the best pedigree. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, a member of the warrior tribe of Benjamin, named after King Saul, the great warrior king. If the Judaizers had a draft, Paul is pick number one. This is our guy. He studied under Gamaliel, the most revered rabbi in the first century. Yet he emphatically taught that the gospel that he preached he did not receive from any man. The rabbis didn't teach the gospel. Gamaliel didn't teach the gospel. He didn't learn it in Tarsus. He didn't learn it in Jerusalem. Paul's point is that no human teacher taught him the gospel. So we get it. Paul's made this great point that the gospel that he preached, the gospel that God attested with signs, wonders, miracles, the gospel that bore fruit in Galatia didn't come from men. All right. Where did it come from? Verse 12, For I did not receive it, the gospel, from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. There it is. You want to know where Paul got his gospel? He got his gospel from a revelation of Jesus Christ. The word revelation is apocalypsis. We get our word apocalypse from that, and it's unfortunate because whenever we use that word, we're talking about end. We're talking about you know the zombie apocalypse, the end of something. As a matter of fact, that word is the title of the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So whenever we see that word, we're thinking end time stuff, stuff that is eschatological in nature, and I think that's unfortunate because the word actually means to unveil, to uncover something that had been hidden that you take the cover off of it so that everyone can see it. Primarily, the book of Revelation is a great illustration of that word because primarily it's not about end-time events. It's about the revelation of King Jesus himself. Now, I agree it's talking about end-time events. But Jesus is the focal point, not the event. First of all, I want you to know that it's a revelation of Christ himself. I don't want to belabor this, but that scene on the road to Damascus where Paul is on his way to arrest Christians to have them executed for blasphemy. He tells that story himself. I think it would be wise to take his word for what happened. He says, 
I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things, this is Acts chapter 26, in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme, and in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priest at midday, O king. I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And, we, uh, and when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Is it hard for you to kick against the goads? And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Isn't that fascinating? This Saul of Tarsus on his way to arrest Christians is arrested by Jesus, knocked to the ground, converted, sovereignly regenerated by a hand of a merciful God. I like that. Paul had been confronted by the risen Lord, commissioned to take the gospel to the Gentiles. That alone answers the charge of his apostleship, doesn't it? Because there were witnesses that heard this voice, this risen Lord said, I have appointed you to take the gospel to the Gentiles. <laughs> no wonder Paul immediately started preaching the gospel. Years later, he would go on to say, speaking of having received a revelation of Jesus Christ, He would go on to say, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And speaking of the Jews who rejected the gospel, he said, but their minds were hardened, for to this day when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is the veil taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. 
Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. What is the book of Galatians all about? Freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Do you get the idea that Paul is begging the Galatians not to put the veil back on? Don't go back into that old system. Everything that it pointed to has been fulfilled and you have it here by faith alone in Christ. Don't go backwards. So what? I was taught to always answer this question. If you can't apply something, then you don't know it. We need to know where our gospel came from and where it did not come from. The gospel is not just another made-up story. And it's nothing like any world religion. doesn't matter what it is. Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism, Islam. Whatever it is, those are all means of through works, through mantras, through deeds, through nirvana of reaching a place of enlightenment or a place where you feel like you merit forgiveness from a deity. It's bottom up. It's from the heart of sinful mankind out. The gospel is from the heart of God down. The gospel comes from somewhere we can't go. We exist in this creation. We exist in time. We are bound by sin. The gospel came to us from outside. We did not create it. We did not invent it. It's not a story that we produce. It's not just another religion that we have come up with. The eternal second member of the Trinity invaded this creation, was incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ, and he died for sinful humanity. It's not bottom up. It's not inside out. It's from God down. He came to rescue us. That's the gospel. If any man had an opportunity to write the gospel, they wouldn't. We love credit, don't we? The gospel gives us no credit. If you are in Christ, it's because God had mercy on a sinner. Not because of anything that you did, not because you merited it, not because you were a decent enough person. It is because God, who infinitely loves, had mercy upon you. So we need to know where the gospel came from and where it did not come from. I ask the worship team to come back as we begin to close. Here's the question. And it's a question that we will revisit again and again as we go through Galatians. Am I trusting in the ideas and the traditions of men or the divinely revealed gospel of Jesus Christ? What are you trusting? That's the question. When Paul spoke to the Galatians, he says, and we bring you the good news 
that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the, the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he served the purpose of the fathers, of the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. Humbling to me that David, after he served God's purpose in his generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. Every single one of us in this room are heading for a time, unless the Lord returns first, in which we will physically die and we will see corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed from in the law of Moses. The law of Moses never set anyone free from anything. The Jewish oral traditions never set anyone free from anything. Jesus frees sinners. And he frees them from the dominion of sin, from the curse of the law, and from the tyranny of religion through faith alone. Do you believe this? That's the gospel. That's the gospel that Paul is continually calling the Galatians and us to return to. So if you're trusting in anything else, put your faith firmly in Jesus Christ who alone bore sin for us. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the provision of Christ who is a lamb, spotless, undefiled. Thank you that he went willingly to the cross and bore sin for us. Father, I'm praying that if there's anyone here that, that does not know you, that you, even this moment, would call them to faith in Christ, that you'd give them new life in Christ through faith. We just pray that we would be a church who honors you, who shares the gospel. Keep Jesus Christ at the center of our hearts always. May you be honored. May you be glorified. Bless your people in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.